came to Trinidad, from Trinidad to the United States in 1968. I was 11 years old. My mother and father both were converted from Hinduism. Trinidad is 65 miles long, 35 miles wide. Trinidad is the, as far as geographical location, the least in the lines of West, West Indies Islands from Miami, Jamaica, all the way down to the tip of Venezuela. Trinidad never gets warmer than about 90 and never gets colder than 75. What am I doing in Cincinnati? <laughs> the predominant religions of Trinidad are Hindus, Muslims, and Catholics. At age 19, 17 rather, my father was saved from Hinduism and promptly, literally kicked out of his home. See, the Hindus believe in many, many, many gods, and they are quick to accept Jesus as one of the gods they believe in. But if you tell your Hindu parents that I just am serving Jesus now, and I don't won't serve any other gods, and I'm going to get baptized in Jesus. If your parents are devout Hindus like my father's parents were, you better find you another place to live. And he had to go to his brother's house, and he was brothers married. His brother built a sort of a lean-to to his house, so where my dad would be my dad later on. Uh, he could live there. My brother's wife wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And since my dad wanted everything to do with Jesus, she wouldn't speak to him. She would fix the meal for the family and slip a plate under the door in that room he lived in. Mother wouldn't serve God. None of his family. And God called him to preach. And in the islands, you know, you, you kind of wear island clothes. So he had his short pants and his shirt and when school was over, he'd go preach, literally preach on the street corners. And, and then we're talking about now maybe uh, mid-50s. Of course, I wasn't there then. Uh, but he would be used of God. A couple other preacher young men got saved. They got kicked out too, his buddies. And they just preached Jesus. They didn't been to no Bible school. They didn't even know the you know, a lot of the Bible, they just knew to pray and read, read and pray. I mean, that's a good diet for the kingdom. Pray and read, read. And God just began to use these Indian-looking guys, and they'd be on the street corner, and uh, they'd pray over the sick because they, they heard in America that uh, folks would pray over the sick, and there's a, a preacher here, T.L. Osborne. Some of you might have known him from the past, and he was a, a wonderful man who prayed for the sick, and God would heal them. Then Billy Graham was really big in the United States at that time, and he, they, they heard where he led a lot of people to Christ, so they led people to Christ, and all they knew is to what they hear in America. Now, you know, you didn't have television then. You didn't have all this social media, so you just heard it or read it in the paper and because they believed God used them and folk and I, I got some pictures of it so I don't want you to think I'm just making this up to sound nice but folk would come with canes and crutches 
and be anointed and prayed for. And they would leave their canes and crutches at the place they came to be prayed for, healed by the power of God. The crowd began to get so large that it was causing traffic problem on the street corner. So they put them in, in a sort of theater thing like this. And people, you know, what will draw people is when they find out not only Jesus saving, but what they find out, Hindus and Muslims, when they find out that Jesus God is doing miracles, Jesus is opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears, and Jesus is causing people to be totally sound in their body and mind. They come wanting the miracle, then they hear about Jesus, and they got both. Amen? So through the years and in his youth, uh, God used him in significant ways. And then eventually God said, you know, put it on his heart to come to the United States as, an, as a missionary to the United States. Can I get an amen? God used him all over the islands, and I say that to the glory of God. And uh, so I just live long enough in America. I've been here 50 years and more now to know that America needs some missionaries. It needs some missionaries. So we've been in this country for 50 years. My father, my mother, my three sisters came. Didn't know anybody as far as, you know, having uh, relatives or family. One precious lady in Laurenburg, North Carolina, her name was Edna Poole, she sponsored us and took responsibility for a season of time as our sponsor for our well-being, but to make sure in case we violated the law, however, she would answer for it. And so the, the six of us, here we are. And we lived in North Carolina, and God began to use my dad and minister and preach over the eastern part of these United States. And many, many folks were saved, and many were baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, I know what that means. <laughs> Amen. And, and so the, the uh, ministry of my dad continued, and my ministry began uh, over approximately 40 years ago. I met my wife, who is Valerie. We met at Lee University. Y'all got some of that in this place. And uh, y'all still paying your bills like we are? It's been almost 40 years. No, I'm just kidding. And so Valerie and I have uh, two daughters. They're married. Each have two children. We have, uh, obviously, two son-in-laws. My wife calls our son-in-laws sons in love. She's crazy. I don't call them that. I ain't about to start. But anyhow, they, they are precious. And so, uh, as Pastor Dallas told you, I've pastored one church for 33 years. And it's been an answer to prayer to follow that path. And then we turned it over last year to my son-in-law, J.C., my son-in-law. And I'm quite worried about that transition. But I'll keep praying and hope it goes well. So if you have your Bibles... Oh, you would use your, you have your scripture in your, on your phone, in your phone. I, I want to look with you and be very sensitive of the, the nature of the use of this facility and the time frame that you, that you have. Uh, I'm wanting to look at the book of Daniel, and uh, I want to talk to you on this thought. I really want to, to be a help and not a distraction to your life. The subject is living in your second choice world. Living in your second choice world. Amen. I see you do what I, I like. You stand for the word. Amen? Amen. So, reading out of the New King James Version, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. 
There are mo mo uh, several more references I'd like to make in Daniel, but I, I don't want to use them for text right now. Save that I'll refer to them in just a little bit. So as you look with me, I'll read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Asphanaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Zechariah, Abednego. You say amen to the word. Stretch your hands in my direction and do me that honor and pray for me as I would pray for you as we go together in these moments of the word. Father, I thank you today for the power of the word of God. I pray for your unction and your anointing upon me and upon all of us, the hearers of the word. Let the word be lifted out of our, our, our place of, Lord, maybe uh, ground that is needing to be stirred. And, and Lord, a ground that may be hard. I pray that you let the word uh, rake over it and plow over it and be like seed into it, Lord. Father, let it come out of the pages of the book to transform our thinking and our behavior. We celebrate that knowledge that the word will bring to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you were given a choice to choose the most ideal world that you would like to live in, your personal world, your life, your family, your job, your health, if you were given that choice and you were told that this would be your first choice world, what would you choose? Let me make a few suggestions. Perhaps a first choice world would consist of a great education. Maybe it would consist of an ideal job. A first choice world would be that of a perfect mate, spouse, wonderful children, excellent health, and flawless friends. Would that be okay? But we don't live in a perfect world. And regardless of what we choose to start out with to be our first choice world, somehow things begin to fall apart. Somehow, because of sin, because of the nature of man, 
somehow because of our environment, because of choices that may not have, should been made, we end up from our first choice world to our second choice world. And I would suggest to you, and, and they are kind enough to have it for me on the screen, I want to I just highlight some of the causes of a second choice world. What moves us from the place we would really like to be and hope we could stay to a place that we didn't want but have to stay? For example, a failed marriage. Maybe a marriage that uh, you thought would be like uh, Cinderella and Prince Charming have turned out to be something less than your dream. And then you're now in a second choice world. Maybe uh, the loss of a job, the, the company has been sold or, or they're downsizing or other situations beyond your control so your income is going to cease or be minimized. And that moves you from one standard of living that you were used to to now one that you wish you didn't have. Can I get an Amen. How about sickness can move you from your first choice world to your second choice world? Over the years, I have witnessed uh, some situations where people were living well in their body. They were the picture of health, and everything was looking up. They were athletic and, and doing so good. And this is not to diminish uh, their situation now, but it was time for their annual checkup, and they had their checkup only to find out that there's a spot on the lung or a spot on the liver which requires a biopsy and further th testing. And the news they've gotten moves them from their first choice world to their second choice world. Here's another thought, if you will. There's this thing about addictions, okay? I have lived long enough to know that my problem doesn't necessarily put me in a second choice world, but somebody in my circle of friends or family have a problem, and I get cast in a second choice world. This business that says it's my life, I will do what I want to and live like I want to and it doesn't bother anybody else is a lie. You tell them I said that. Because our living affects other people. And our living can put somebody else to live in a hell on earth, second choice world. Let me show you something else. Here's, here's another situation. Every decision we make has a response or a reaction. Can I get an amen? Every action we take have a reaction. And sometimes in the course of life we mean well, but we make poor decisions. We hang out with the wrong people. We, we, we stay someplace too long or we look at something too long or we go to a forbidden area that we shouldn't go and we get trapped and that will put us in a second choice world. And, and I say that, let me just bring you real, for the sake of time, bring you to Daniel. Daniel is the prominent personality in the book of Daniel. And Daniel's story begins with being taken as a captive from Jerusalem, his first choice world, to Babylon, a place that he didn't even ask to go. God allowed Jerusalem and the people of Israel 
to be judged for their disobedience, their repeated disobedience year after year after year after year. God says, I'll bless you if you obey. I'll curse you if you disobey. I'll bless you if you honor me, and I'll honor you if you keep honoring me. And so the story is that when people walk out of the covering of God, when people walk out of the Word of God, they are taking their life in their own hands. And so because of the sins of their forefathers, meaning Daniel's forefathers, God sent Nebuchadnezzar and his army into Jerusalem to take as many captives back into Babylon. So Daniel goes into Babylon. He doesn't even want to be there. Daniel is in a culture people who have strange foods and strange gods and uh, strange worship, and he doesn't want to be there, but that's his second-choice world. They give him a job as an administrator in the government of Babylon. He doesn't want to do that. He, he wants to be back in his homeland where God has used him. So Daniel is in a world that's not even his second choice. Matter of fact, he had nothing to do with being there. Can I get another amen? So, so let, me, let me hasten to say this to you. If the book of Daniel teaches us anything, it's, le it's letting us know that our second choice world is not to be a dumping ground for our problems and our woes. Our second choice world is to be a testing ground so that we may see the things that God has brought us from and where he would take us to. Can I get an amen? Now, let me say this to you. You may be in your second choice world, but if God is there, it will be your first class world because you've got a first class God everywhere you go. Amen? So, so let, me, let me show you some thoughts here, and perhaps they'll put it on the screen to let us know how we can handle a world that we didn't want and one that we have to live in. And the first thought is if we are to live through second choice world experiences, it helps if we are able to go through it with others. All of us need a friend. Amen. Oh, you know, uh, I, I say to, and I have a lot of fun with this when it's preaching at home and all, and you got a pew and you got about two or three people on that pew or you got some chairs here and nobody else but the pastor and his friend. You know, you wonder, what's wrong with these people? Sure, we have friends. We all need somebody to help us make it through. No man or woman can transform their world by themselves. And so in Babylon, the Bible says Daniel's got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are four Hebrew boys in a strange land, and they hook up with each other, and they said, we're not going to eat their food, and we're not going to pray to their God, and we're not going to speak their language, but we have each other, and we're going to sink or swim, but we are going to stay together as men of God. You know, when life gets tough, you need to find somebody who can pray you through. 
When life gets tough, you need to find somebody who know how to lay hand on people, cast out the devil. When life gets tough, you need to find somebody who know the word of God and can speak the word of God over you. There are just times that you ought to just cut out the video game and cut out the Facebook and cut out the cell phone and hit your knees and say, God, I can't make it by myself. But if you be here with me in my second choice world, I'll come out a winner. Somebody give the Lord a praise. Turn to your neighbor if you're close enough. Say, I got to have you. Say, you are my friend for life. Okay, so you need to be sitting by them next Sunday. Here's another thought. Let me, let me hasten to give you this thought. Rather than avoiding or running from your second choice world, we should pursue it and give it our best. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to the understanding because of their captors that they're going to be in Babylon for at least 70 years. Everybody say 70. God said, when I take you out of Jerusalem because you've disobeyed the tribe of Judah, you've disobeyed God, I'm going to allow your enemies, to not only capture you, but you're going to stay there for 70 years. You might as well build your houses. You might as well work your fields. You might as well glean your crop. And you might as well have some livestock because ain't nobody coming to rescue you before 70 years. And so Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego made up their mind we could be devout and studious and productive slaves in Babylon, knowing we're going to be here a while, or we could sit around and pout and fuss and be pitiful and live that way all the time. My friends, that ain't the way to get out of captivity. You know, some people I've met over the years, their theme song is, Nobody knows the troubles I see. I hear some of y'all singing it. That's your song in it. I've sung it a lot of times. No, nobody knows. There used to be, by the way, I need to tell you this. Uh, I'm only preaching here one time. I'm going home tomorrow, right? So I don't want to do any harm. Uh, there's used to be this country song that says, uh, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. That never works now because it takes 50 cents to call, not no quarter. Here, this other one says, uh, I got tears in my ears from laying on my back, crying over you. Who gives a flip? You call somebody to ask them if they care, and they don't care. They got their own second-choice world going on. I've often said this. L listen, oh, I don't want you to get mad at me, okay? Uh, I'm just here, but I, I, I've pastored a long time, a long, long, so I just, I just try my best to treat I prefer this church as I'd want him to treat me, okay? Uh, so this may mess it up. I don't like country music. <laughs> it just messed it up, did it? 
I do not like country music. I like the music and all, you know, the guitar and all that stuff. But that, those kind of words. You know, I've been of the conviction that, you know, if you want to end it all and you're kind of afraid, just, just play some country music. You know, life has let you down. You in your tent choice world, and just just get you some headphones. And <laughs> I don't know whether I am anointed or annoying, or both. You know, I, I just want I just want to tell you that there's just some places you're gonna be for a little while, and so it'll be good for you to say, "Okay, God, if I'm gonna be here a little while, I'm gonna make it worth my while." Somebody say praise the Lord. If I want to be here a little while, God, I want when I get up from this chair, I'm a better man, a better woman. If I get up in this hospital bed, I'll be a better man or better. If I get out of school, God, I'm going to be a better student, a better husband or a better wife. Amen. And so Daniel, Daniel and his friends were consistently promoted by the king because they kept making their world of bondage better. That's a testimony. Here's a third thought, please. If, if we're going to live in a second-choice world, here's something that needs to happen. Flourishing in a second-choice world requires us to develop a community that knows how to pray. The reason Daniel made it in a second-choice world and his three friends, Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is when life got tough, they hit their knees. They, they were brothers in agreement. They were brothers in prayer. You know, sometimes in this world, folks just need somebody to drink with. <laughs> That's not me. Uh, sometimes in this world, folks just need somebody to do it with, you know, and just to get the highs and the momentary thrills. And the next thing you know, they don't know where they've been and where they come from and how they got here. But, oh, when the storms blow in and when the night gets dark and when nobody is coming by to look out for you, if you'll find somebody who knows how to, who know how to pray, who know how to call on God, who even know how to pray in the Holy Ghost, somebody say amen, who, who know how to pray in a way the devil don't even understand a word of it but the Holy Ghost reaches out of you and touches the Father and he sends the angels down to come and take you out of your lion's den or whatever bondage you're in if you will find and I will find somebody to pray with me you know some of the most some most powerful people are the, some of the most unlikely people you think are powerful can I get an amen here <laughs> There's some mother of the church, some father of the church, some young pe person. They may not seem very uh, powerful in the natural. But you get a prayer meeting started and the, and the storms will have to subside. Find somebody who won't just, if you need somebody to cry with you, then cry a little bit. But then get out the Kleenex, wipe your eyes and start praising God. Hey, here's another thought. Are you all still with me here? God is as powerful in the second choice world as he is in our first choice world. Yeah. Just because we ended up in our tenth choice world doesn't mean that God has declined. He's as powerful wherever you are when you need him. You remember the account of uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He called his uh, interpreters and his soothsayers and his astrologers and all of his uh, people who dwelt, delved in darkness, and he said, you guys need to interpret this dream. 
And if you interpret this dream, I'm going to give you honor and I'll make you prosperous and I'll bless you. The dream so troubled Nebuchadnezzar that he, he was willing to uh, be extravagant in rewarding those who would interpret it. So here's the condition, though. The, the uh, potential interpreter of dreams said, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And the king said, no, 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 no. You tell me what I dream, and then you tell me what it means. Because I know you guys, if I tell you what I dream, you're going to make up some kind of nonsense and tell me it. <laughs> I feel a hallelujah coming on. And the, the king says, okay, you know, you guys don't know what you're doing. And he told his, his uh, secret service, kill them all. I, I want you to, all these false prophets, all these uh, so-called uh, interpreters of dreams, they just kill them all until I find somebody who can do otherwise. And lo and behold, when the word got to Daniel, the predicament, what was going on, Daniel's a praying man and he's filled with the Spirit of God. And, and while he's in Babylon in captivity, he's serving a first-choice world in a second-choice world. Daniel comes and he interprets the, the dream to the king just like the king had dreamt it. Daniel told him the dreamy dream, interpreted the dream as God intended for it to be, and the next thing you know, he spares a life of countless numbers of false prophets and his own life because regardless of where your world takes you, God is first class. Amen? Let, 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 me, uh, let me hurry to say this to you. Number, number five, realize who is really in charge of your second choice world. Amen. How did I get in this mess anyhow? What, what did I do to deserve this? Well, when you're there, those questions are not as significant as how am I going to get better? How am I going to get out of this mess? How am I going to get back at the point of victory in my life or save my family? If I've got to live here for many years, how am I going to make the best of it? Well, you realize, like, like I've had to do in my life, Who's in charge of your, of your world? You remember Daniel again. Daniel was set up by some very jealous administrators. In the book of Daniel, chapter 6, there's 120 governors. Daniel was one of the top three who governed the governors. And the king was considering making Daniel in charge of the governors and the three others who were of a high responsibility. And the, these guys, 120 of them, got so jealous of Daniel, they couldn't find any fault in him. And so they thought, well, we'll have the king set us, we'll set up the king, and he'll make a law. And anybody that doesn't worship the king alone for 30 days, if they're found worshiping another god, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. You, you know the story? Daniel is discovered in the midst of this prohibition of uh, uh, worshiping his God, he's discovered to be worshiping his God. And those who are jealous of him and hateful to him, they notify the king. The king has to do what the law says to do, and that is those who do not worship the king in this 30-day time will be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel is thrown in the lion's den. It, it breaks the heart of the king. 
Daniel is there overnight, and before Daniel is thrown in, the king says, your God is so awesome, he's going to spare you out of, that, out of that den. He's going to save your life. Sure enough, the next morning, the king gets up, and he looks into the den, and he realizes that Daniel is still alive. And he applauds the God of Daniel. And he calls the accusers and the liars and the others who set him up. And he has Daniel taken out of the den and his accusers thrown in the lion's den. And the Bible says before they hit the ground, the lions have devoured them. And I'm not glorying that except to say that if you know who is in charge of your second choice world, regardless of where you are, God will take you out of your mess and bless. One more thought. One more thought. I think I have it here. Let me you know what I like the thought about this here? Is the, the king thought that he was in charge of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he was. Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but God was in charge of the king. Can I get an amen here? And so, Whoever is your thorn in the flesh, whoever is your worst nightmare, and you may be sitting by them. No, just, just, just kidding. <laughs> they don't have the final say over you. They're not in charge. Your boss is not in charge. Amen. The, your uh, doctor, you need him and keep going because you'll be blessed, but God has the final say. Amen? God, God is, one more thought. I think I have one more thought. I always say this. I'm about to close. I really am because we Pentecostal preachers, we close about five times, and this will be my first. You know what? I, I'm just going to tell you this, and I'm going to close. About five years ago, it was the weekend of Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, had taken place. This was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I got a call from the chaplain of the sheriff's department there in Noonan. And he said, Pastor, you, you need to come. This is after church, after two services. You need to come to the station, to the jail. He said, uh, one of one of your parishioners in here need your help. And the first thing you think, you know, is, you know, I wonder what happened. Is that in jail? What's going on? I said, do you, what's happening? And he said to me that this lady who is here came to file a report that the sheriff's department discovered her need, and her situation is that her husband shot her son, and he's 14 years old, and his name is Anthony. His husband was in, her husband was in pursuit of, Michelle is her name, and Anthony is her son's name. Anthony is a son from another father. And Michelle and Anthony left their home to go to one of their relatives' home about 10 minutes away to take some furniture. 
Only after Michelle married this man did she find out what an intense alcoholic he was. And when drinking as regularly and as deeply as he had habit of doing, he had a high degree of jealousy, profoundly jealous. And then he had a high degree of uh, dominate. I'm a dominate, controlling spirit. So without even, without even asking where they're going or what they're doing with the furniture, the, he followed them. And he was so angry when he got out of the truck. He was driving behind the car that was parked in front of her aunt's house. He started shooting. And both of them, son and mother, ran for their life. And, uh, and while the mother ran into the house hoping the son, Anthony, would follow, he, the husband and stepfather, came and shot Anthony in the chest, going after the wife in the house, shooting in the house all over. She runs out again, not knowing where her son is, runs down the street trying to get, because he wants to kill this boy, his wife, and himself. And so in coming out of the driveway, he sees that Anthony is still struggling. He shoots him again to make sure he's dead and goes down the road to shoot the wife. By that time, a car comes into the neighborhood, and when the car comes into the neighborhood, it distracts the shooter. And when the shooter realizes I'm trapped here, he puts the gun to his head and he takes his own life. There on that Sunday is where I end up at the jail having to be with Michelle as she made this report. And her world was crushed. Can you imagine? Whole, they came to me for counseling. And I said to them, and I'm trying to pin some points here. You know, somebody says love is a splen many splendid things. Oh, boy. Love can be pretty stupid. Why is it that some women just got to have a man? Breed deep. I've pastored them. What? Yes, any man will do. Okay, I'll sooner close this message, get on the plane, and go home. Uh, she was of that kind of nature. I need a man in my life, raise my boy. I told them, don't marry. Don't marry now. I know I'm going too long, and I know they got to come in. Uh, don't marry now. I'm, I'm telling you, don't marry. Well, I told them to wait. I was counseling them, and so they split apart for a little bit, and he acted the fool again. And so he came, and he uh, said, you know, please forgive me, all this stuff. And she forgave him. And, and, and ho, ho, she did not want to live. Her family did not know what to do with her. Michelle was a wreck. And, and she'd go to her son's uh, uh, place of burial, entombment, and her world just kept crashing down. And then she started, God, surrounded herself around godly people, prayed more, pressed away, trusted God, fall down a little, get up again, fall down a little, walk a little further, fall down again, work a little further more, praying, trusting God, asking people to help her, went to school, graduated from college, got a job, prayed and worked and over a period of five years, and God sent her a God godly man and blessed her with a new start and a new home and she loves her son and she's going to see him in heaven one day but that bitterness is dead that anxiety is dead that hate is dead she may be in her second choice world but she's got reason to thank God anyhow somebody praise the Lord amen so stand with me if you will I, I just want you to know I just came by and uh to tell you, and probably did a poor job at it, to tell you that wherever you are in life, you got more going for you 
than you have against you. Amen. I'm saying to you that if God will do it for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he'll do it for you. God has the final word over your life. Bow your heads, please. If you say, I want to close with prayer, but I want to make sure that we are on the same note if there's a need. You say, Pastor, as you pray the closing prayer this morning before Pastor Dallas comes, I just, I'm in a place in my world that is second choice. And I either want to know how to live in it until I get out of it, or I want God to move me in the direction he wants me to go. I'm, I'm struggling with this second choice world. I need wisdom. I need direction. I need focus. I need friends. I need prayers. Because I'm not supposed to live in a land of grief and sorrow and pain when I've got the joy of the Lord available to me. Raise your hand if that's you. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you down. I'm just going to pray for you where I stand. Would that be anyone here? Or so? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Not going to embarrass you. Thank you so much. Hold it up a moment. Not going to embarrass you. Just going to pray for you. You may put them down. Hey, pray with me. Maybe you know of somebody today who, are, who is not in this house. Maybe a grandson, a granddaughter, a mom, a dad. A friend, a co-worker, let's pray for them. Father, we have been in your presence and we've received your word. And God, I thank you today that that word would churn over in our heart like a, a way of stirring us up to the things, oh God, that are healing and wholesome. Numbers of hands went up, God. I, it may be a marriage. It may be a job. It may be, oh God, an addiction. It may be anxiety or fear or panic, God. It, it may be, Lord Jesus, other issues of money. And, uh, Lord, it may, it may be uh, relationships in the name of Jesus. So by the blood of Jesus Christ, reapply to our lives. By the word of God resurrecting in us, Lord, I just pray today for a breakthrough. I pray today for a turnaround. God, I, I don't care so much that folk remember me because I'm not so much to remember, but I do pray they remember you, and I pray that they turn around because of you, and I pray they will look at this day and say it was a start. It didn't happen all in one day, but it started for the glory of God, and now I'm going to water it, and now I'm going to fertilize it, and now eventually I'm going to harvest it. So I thank you for that promise and that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dallas.